Welcome back to the Caffeinated Christian Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Mike Rigglesworth. I am sitting here today with Ryan Willert. He is currently getting more coffee right now. We are drinking Shark Bite from Bones Coffee. I'm not going to lie. I thought he was just going to drink straight creamer out of the Oh, I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have guessed. And you've already heard him. This is Bradley, the man with no last name. He's your favorite guy. Do not tempt me. And we are part two going through the pinnacle theological work of the book of Romans. And we're looking at Romans chapter eight, just a small sampling of Romans chapter eight. And I took the lead on last week's discussion and Ryan is going to be taking the lead on this week. Yep. And we are looking forward to that. So, Ryan, what do you got for us in Romans chapter 8? Sure, and this will be off of kind of the sermon I'm doing at Mike's church at Centerpoint Community Church. And speaking of which, yep, uh, we want to make you aware that this week and last week's episode, we're we're putting the link to our YouTube channel, mm-hmm. uh, Centerpoint's YouTube channel. We really don't have a active YouTube channel at the Caffeinated Christian, right? but Centerpoint Community Church's YouTube channel um, in the show notes. So if yeah. you want to... Uh, experience an exhaustive study uh, through the book of Romans. We start in Romans chapter 1, and we're, we're going all the way through to the end of the book. We're in the middle of it right now, and uh, it's it's quite exhaustive. We're in week like 25, and we're only like halfway through. So yeah, so yeah it's been a good time. Yeah. So I, I asked myself, so the, 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 what I'm doing is Romans 8, specifically verses 28 through 31 at Mike's church. And, and I asked myself a question. When I'm when I'm thinking of how to title this or where to oh my gosh where to begin with this and so I started thinking about things that people have gone through because I recently was asked a question basically God where are you and all these things and uh, what's happening like why don't I see his actions and I'm doing a talk on miracles on August 18th and so these these this question kind of like runs together with miracles that don't happen what what happens when God doesn't give you what you ask for. Right. And then I thought to myself, what I find is necessary for a belief, right, is to think that the belief is true. Mm-hmm. Right? You'd be kind of crazy to believe something if you didn't actually think it was true. Would you right. agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's not that's not nonsense, right? That's just Kind if, it's of a, not, if it's not true, I won't believe it. Exactly. So if you wouldn't go to the death knowing something's false and <laughs> stating it's I'm true. I'm starting to sneeze, Ryan. I think you oh, are getting no. <laughs> and so one of the things I thought of when it comes to belief is what's really important is that we have confidence mm-hmm. in our beliefs that we have. Right? And mm-hmm. confidence in in our hope. So I titled the talk Confidence and Hope because I think we're going to see something in this latter half of Romans chapter 8 that I think Paul is doing very specifically and I think brilliantly in his arguments to give the church at Rome confidence in the hope that he's giving because we do find something historically interesting with the Romans at this time, specifically the Christians at the Church of Rome. And now Paul, the scholars safely date this letter written to the Church of Rome, roughly 55 to 58 AD. And Rome was the hub of the Roman Empire, right? Mm-hmm. And the leader at this time was Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero did some not-so-nice things and nasty things. A lot of the... I thought cr- this was right before Emperor Nero. No, Emperor Nero was during this time. Was he? Because I yeah. thought Nero was... I believe it was 52. 
I thought Nero came later. No, Nero, Nero's persecution, the crazy heavy persecution, came around 64 AD. Okay, that's after what I'm the fire okay. in yeah. Rome, where he blamed the Christians. Yeah. But he was yeah, still he said it himself. Yeah. He was yeah. still <laughs> Roman around at that time. You guys like that? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That was really bad. I see what you did that there. Was really bad. That was really bad. That's a dad joke. Yeah, that's a little dad joke. Yeah. But they they scholars roughly think there was about a million people in Rome at the time, and fifty thousand of them were Jewish slash Christian believers. But the the thing that Paul, I think, was addressing here what Christians and the believers in Rome needed this confidence in is because they were getting a lot of internal and external sort of tension and pressure, both from the church and exterior to the church. And the the exterior pressure was coming from other belief systems, right? Rome, the... Rome was very influenced by Greek mythology, polytheism, emperor worship. We actually have historian Suetonius. He writes this, though religion was tolerated in Rome, however, tolerance was widely limited to religions that were polytheistic. Mm. So basically kind of what we see today, right? Right. Sure, you can believe everything you want to believe as long as your belief doesn't like stand in the way of what I believe. Sure, Mm -hmm. all your gods exist, but as long as you believe all my gods exist as well and what are the what does the christian say there's literally one god yep and then we are also called to go out into this and try to make the uh, disciples yeah don't preach anything exclusionary right exactly right? and we see mm-hmm. that in today my goodness all the time but the christian belief was in a sense inclusive <coughs> and exclusive all at the same time right and so there was a lot of this sort of tension going on with rome with the other religions the other sects that are happening where Christians were also getting very persecuted in Rome from these other belief systems. On top of that, there was a lot of chaos happening in the church itself. For instance, we know through historians such as Suetonius and Cassius Dio that Emperor Claudius around 49 AD basically kicked out all the Jews from Rome. And there's a lot of reasons why this happened they don't always match up, but a lot of them comes to, uh, to making too many converts, disturbances within what's happening in the city. And uh, Josephus actually records that since it was a religion, they didn't have to pay as much temple tax, and the Jews were getting a lot of tax in from their people. Mm-hmm. So they're like, get the heck out of here. We want these people to pay us instead. Wow. But what ended up happening, historically, is we know the Gentiles took over the church mm-hmm. because they were being converted, and the Jews weren't there for roughly five years. So the Gentiles took over the church, then what happened? Well, the Jews came back in. And we, we see this in Acts with Priscilla. And uh, uh, Priscilla, I think it's Acts 18, 1 through 8, and Aquila, where Paul re- like references how they like coming back in the, uh, into mm-hmm. Rome, how he met these people. Right. And what we find is a heavy disturbance now between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers in the church. And who's taking what leadership role? We were only gone for a little bit. I was this for so long. I was this for so long. What is happening? We have all these internal pressures now because of we got this butting heads within the church body. Mm -hmm. And so Paul was dealing in his letter historically with the backdrop of all of this noise happening in the church as well. So they were getting punishment and suffering from external, all the suffering from internal. And the question is like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. God, where are you in all of these? Where is your working sort of in all of this stuff that is happening? And I love how the last part, you talked about suffering, right? Right. We see all of this suffering that the glory is, uh, is the glory in the future is, uh, is greater than the suffering we're experiencing now. So Paul, 
I say Paul in uh, Romans 2 does this in two parts, right? I, uh, verses 18 through 27, I call the workings, like what God is doing in this world. And God, God has uh, referenced uh, his spirit working within us. And then right. the second part is what I call the setup. And the setup is where Paul is going to sort of go into this logical argument of how we can have confidence in the hope, especially in the workings of the suffering that we're experiencing right now. And I, I, I wrote this out, and I, I will share this Sunday too, that this is how I understand this. It says, we can see the brilliance of the glory that awaits by the depths of suffering we experience. Mm. By discerning the magnitude yeah. of suffering, we can then by reverse comparison compare how great the unfathomable yeah. and awaiting glory will be. Yeah, there's, there's a book that we were reading to our daughter last night. Um, it's, it's a story about a a grandmother and her grandson. They live in like the inner city. They're very, yeah. very poor. And um and the grandson essentially says, Why am I surround why are we surrounded by so much like ugly? Yeah. Right. And and she she says something to the effect of I, I can't remember exactly how she words it, but she says, those who have experienced who see only the ugly are able to be a better witness to what is beautiful. hundred percent. You know, and 100%. so, yeah. Yeah. And it's so cool. He's like the pain you are suffering. It could be the most agony, but think about it. If you reverse that and put glory as so much more than that, you mm-hmm. can see what's coming for you. And so yeah. those who suffer more can, in a sense, grasp more of the weight of the glory that is coming. So there's kind of like this perk in the suffering, not that we should go look for suffering, right? But we can see his glory in the suffering by this sort of this reverse Mm -hmm. comparison. Right. And so Paul then in verse 28 writes this, he says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, it's really interesting to see why Paul would write this, right? Think about this with our lives. Like, how many times has our lives gone like crazy and haywire and we're going, God, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What is actually happening? Yep, everybody's asked that over the last couple right. of years. Absolutely, exactly. and I could just sense this main question of <laughs> everything's going nuts. Why then should we have confidence in mm-hmm. what God is doing? Yep, great. This is all fine and dandy. All the suffering and the glory that's coming—that's nice of you to say, Paul. But why should we have confidence? And I think Paul gives him an answer starting in verse 28. And the answer is this, how it was planned. Mm-hmm. And how it was planned is going to give a grounding in the confidence for the hope that we have. And Paul says this, and there's a few parts that I want to discuss. Paul says this, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Mm-hmm. And the first question I have is this, what does he mean by the good? Mm-hmm. Right? What does he mean by that? He doesn't say for all good. It just says for good. Right. It's a specific thing that he's referring to. And in the literature, there's two main sort of beliefs that come from 
what Paul is saying when it says mm-hmm. for the good right. or for good. And there's two views. The first view is what is called the prosperity view. Mm-hmm. And the second view is, is called the eschatological view. Right. And I can see where you're going with that. Yeah. One. And the prosperity view basically says this. And we see this. Oh, my goodness. You go to TCT at midnight, and oh, this geez. is the view you get. Yeah. Financial, physical, mental blessings and well-being are always the will of God. And being more religious through different kinds of means will increase one's kind of wealth in these categories. And if not, you don't have faith, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> and, he, and he says this. This is what people take it. For those who love God, all things, meaning the health, wealth, and finance, will work towards this accumulation of all of them for the good. Right. Now, I think that's garbage, that view. Oh, for sure. I don't have to go very far, but I, I have three reasons why I reject that view, and you guys can play in with more reasons if you want mm-hmm. to. First... Just look at Paul. Acts 9.16, God says, do you know what? You're going to suffer. And mm-hmm. because you're going to suffer, more things, more benefits are going to happen because you suffer. Right? So God's ultimate will was that Paul suffer yep. with the thorn because he knew much more would happen mm-hmm. from it than if he took away the thorn in the first place. Right. Second, Job's argument. Mm-hmm. I remember I went through the book of Job with my wife. We literally <clears throat> sat down and I read through the book of Job with her and we kind of discussed it. And his friends, his friends, man, they did, they did such a good job. The first seven days they sat in quiet and just oh, yeah. with Job. And they opened their mouths. <laughs> and <laughs> then, then, they started. then they just started just spouting out garbage. And the main arguments were this. They had a very weird view of retributive justice. That if you do bad things in this world, you will always be punished in this world. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily true. Sure, you might have a punishment, but in retributive justice, there is this other world to come that God can, in a sense, punish yeah. us. In. And the essence of the gospel is you're getting what you don't deserve. Exactly. And so so Job goes, oh, okay, I got an argument for you. There are so many evil kings, so many miserable leaders that have done all of these things, and they die fat and happy. Right. So if the retributive justice that you believe is true, what in the world am i like viewing right now right and so why is god giving them a free pass? sure exactly <laughs> so if that's the case this idea of prosperity is false because god will allow things to play out in the negative for you in your yep. life and the third is martyrdom mm-hmm. right sometimes god's end desire for someone look at all of the disciples is to yep. die a death for what they believe yep that wasn't healthy Right. I mean, the disciples weren't financially wealthy. It says, mm-hmm. I think it says in Matthew, the women helped provide financials for them. They did. Yeah. yeah they, they kept the books. <laughs> they kept the books. I mean, yep. my goodness. And so I just reject the prosperity interpretation of what it means oh, yeah. for the good. You guys have any thoughts on that? Uh, I would agree. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. yeah I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I would, I would add a little bit to that. Okay. Like we've, we've kind of taken on that prosperity view. Like yeah. and I, I I agree with you and a lot of a lot of believers have have really taken that and run with it and they've never been taught a proper hermeneutic yeah so they've never been taught how to read that properly to read it in context and mm-hmm. I think that's the problem they rip it out of context oh, they cherry 100%. pick it but another thing that I see happening people <laughs> people utilize Romans eight twenty eight you know all things work together for the good of yeah. those who love them in the middle of grief. Like when someone's grieving, someone's lost a husband or yeah. a wife or a kid, they come up to them and they quote this. 
They say all things work together for the good of those who love God. It's a bumper sticker Bible verse. Yeah, it really makes me feel better. Thanks a lot. Um, And now there's, there's incredible truth, but that verse does not mean what they think it means. No. It does not mean that the the good that Paul's talking about, it doesn't mean that things are going to magically change in your circumstances in this life. 100%. Because they, they might not. Yeah. Your, your life might get that much worse. It's almost like a quick not, crying yeah. verse that yeah. people throw at. And, and it has more to do with people feeling uncomfortable sitting in grief, and so they have to... They have to do something. Yeah, they I, have to say something. I think that that verse is often used to like end a conver- an uncomfortable conversation or moment. Yep. It's kind of like the "I'll pray for you" thing, but like it yeah. doesn't really go into the problem. It's just yeah. kind of like, yeah. like Ryan would tell me, like, "Oh, I'm struggling with being sick with COVID for the fifth time oh right gosh, now." I don't have COVID. And then, <laughs> it was last week I was sick. And then I'll say something like, "Oh, I'll pray for you," and it ends yeah. the conversation and yeah. gets right. me out of that hard topic. Yeah, it, I think the yeah. same things used for that Bible. Yeah, verse. it's it's it gets us out of those uncomfortable moments. Yeah, and and I think people can say it with in, with good intentions. Oh yeah. And again, this is it's true. It's true that all things work together for good, but not the good that you think. Right. Exactly. So. That's important for us to know. And, and so the uh, the second view, which I accept, is what is called the eschatological view. And basically, this means it will be evident and fully realized at the end mm-hmm. that the good is not necessarily financial or health, or this will be reversed to be a positive for me in this world. It's that the good is God has used creation in order to establish salvation and all of it will be real. The good is this end result of you yeah. being with him. Yeah. Cause that's what he was talking about earlier in Romans. Exactly. 8. All creation is going to be renewed, right? Exactly. Yep. So I go and not only incorporates and solves problems from the prosperity view, mm-hmm. right? But it's so interesting, right? There's no time restraint on this. Think about that. Mm-hmm. And this, this in think about this, right? This makes sense in what he says. He says, all things, and the term here in the Greek is the term pas, P-A-S. It's used 1,243 times in the New Testament. And it only and always means this sort of understanding. Each, every, all, any, the whole, everyone, a collective, the sum of all types of everything. So what I find interesting is when he says all things, do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say all things just in your life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't say all things that are going to play out in. He says nothing about circumstances. Not circumstances. He doesn't even give a. He doesn't give a temporal understanding to it. So what that means to me is, all things include even the past moments. So God is using the past moments that where I don't even exist to work to my good, Mm -hmm. right? Or the end good. Hence, you can see what he says in verse 19. He says he subjected creation, and that was way before I was born. Right. And we talked in the earlier podcast because he foreknew certain things. And so when he says all things, I really think he means every single moment of all of reality that was ever created. For sure. And so if you're like an older theorist, right? And the earth is in the universe is 16 billion years old. That 
15 billion years ago, when things were blowing up and all that stuff and God was organizing things, every single one of those moments were being used Mm -hmm. by God in order for our end good. Yep. That's a fascinating thing to understand. Yep. All things means all things. Exactly. It's not temp... (laughs) It's not... Uh, uh, constrained by each person. It's not constrained temporally in any mm-hmm. of this language, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating to me. And you can see where Paul's going like, I'm going to give you confidence in the hope you have here. Right, right. Like, I'm, I'm going logically in this for you guys. And, and, and now that is really difficult to wrap our mind around mm-hmm. because we're saying all things, meaning the awful things we've witnessed in human history. Yes. And that's that's really difficult to make sense of. But... Do we need to make sense of it for it to be true? Right. You know, so I, w- I would argue we don't. Exactly. I 100% agree with you. And this is why he can say this very next portion, I believe. Mm-hmm. And the question is, Paul, how in the world is this even possible? Right? How in the world is it possible? And this is what he says here. He says this starting in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also pre predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the first born among many brethren. And for those whom he predestined, he also called. And for those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, I want to stop here for a second, right? I think Romans 8 and Romans 9 and Romans 10, especially this verse, are so highly abused for purposes mm-hmm. it's not supposed to stand for. Right. Right? People like to just take these verses out of context and basically this is what it means. This is what it means. Therefore my Calvinism's right. Right. Or my Arminianism's right. Or what, whatever view you have is right. And I do not think that we are able to do that. As a matter of fact, I want to sort of make this statement here. And I think Paul lays out an ontology for these terms. And so I have a theory here that's working here. Mm-hmm. So describe ontology yeah, for a quick second. Yeah, and ontology so is know. basically like a system of how things work. Mm-hmm. And here's my statement. However, your theory of whatever your theory of foreknowledge is will define all of these other terms. Mm-hmm. And this is what I mean by this. Look what Paul says here. For those he foreknew, he also predestined. For those he predestined, he also called. For those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. It's a sequential. It's a sequential. We can't have our term of what we mean by predestined unless we first answer the question of what he foreknew. Right. For those he foreknew, what did he foreknew, foreknow about them? Who he would choose independent of their knowledge? Whom he would... Uh, 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 choose based off of the knowledge what they freely would cho- like choose we we have no idea even in Romans 9 when he used the term election yeah, right it makes your husband yeah election falls into the the, uh, the election basically means like god's act of picking mm-hmm. or choosing mm-hmm. the question still resides he chose people but that choosing was based off of his knowledge so mm-hmm. even election falls into the category that fall has to submit to foreknowledge. Mm-hmm. So how, what he foreknew is going to determine how you define these other things. But luckily for us, right, Paul does not give us definitions to these terms. Right. And 
I do not think it's because Paul thought we were stupid. It's because this is not what Paul was getting at in this in this section. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to get this confidence. There, in a sense, we're asking why should we believe or trust in God's plan that we right. have this suffering and glory? All this is fantastic, and everything you just said, Paul, sounds all nice and emotional. But why should I trust this? Mm-hmm. And Paul just says, well, because one. All things work for this end result, and all things is not good or bad related or personal related to this restricted or temporal restricted. But how is this possible? Because for what he foreknew, he also created a reality, right? That everything he desired in his will will play out in the way he was supposed to play out. Mm -hmm. So... Paul's point here is this. Paul is not creating a glossary of terms and their definitions. His point is to warrant our confidence in God's victory. Mm-hmm. That's what he's doing. Yep. And so if this is what Paul is saying. Here, here's the takeaway phrase, right? Yep. <coughs> if Paul is saying we can warrant and trust and confidence in God's plan because all of creation was created and allowed and is used to get to this end good that he wanted. Yep. And so if that's the case, right, all things are going to work towards the good, no matter if you understand it or not. Right. Or you could say it this way, if all of reality is is God's plan, then nothing in reality can thwart his plan. Mm-hmm. It's just not possible. Right. You want to know why we can have confidence in this hope? Because all of reality, even everything you're going for, was a part of his plan. Yep. Not. It's not... It's his plan's not being thwarted from it. It's not being abused where he has to sort yep. of reconcile things yep. now because he didn't know and all that stuff. God he, God isn't surprised by what you're going through. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. And mm-hmm. if that's the case Because he has foreknowledge. Exactly. If that's the case, then all of your <laughs> yep. suffering mm-hmm. can be used. Right. Can be used. And no wonder why he finishes off this section. Yeah. He says this in, in verse thirty one. What then shall we say of these things? Mm-hmm. If God is for us, who can be against us? Beautiful. Think about it. Love it. If this is true, if God literally is for us, what can logically be against us? Not any of the created order, not Satan or the mm-hmm. demons in the sense, sure, they can still tempt us and still go after us, but mm-hmm. if we hold on to his plan, it's going to be successful at the end because their creation and their choices are also known by God and a part of the created reality which he allowed in the beginning in the first right. place. What can then be against us? Right. I just find it so fascinating. Mm-hmm. Why can we trust in this plan? Because all of reality was his plan. These are not points that are disrupting it. Right. They were a part of it from the beginning. Yep. And all of it's working for our good and this end result. Awesome. And so because of that, we can have confidence in hope. All right. Perfect. I think that is a great place to end. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Caffeinated Christian Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, and be sure to give us a five-star rating and a review. That helps us to, to you know put our name out there, and it makes our podcast more visible to people. Uh, also, you can reach us at Facebook and Instagram at the Caffeinated Christian Podcast. Please email us your questions, um, future uh, topics you'd like us to address. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a great day.